This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivalet. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Abrupt Future. This week, we speak with Dr. Benjamin Granger. He is a senior principal and XM catalyst at the XM Institute at Qualtrics. He has over a decade of experience building employee experience measurement and management programs across the globe and leads research initiative with the Qualtrics XM Institute. First of all, thank you so much for joining the show and welcome to Abrupt Future. Yeah, thanks, Benoit. I'm really, really glad to be here and looking forward to the discussion. So our first topic today Could you give us a couple of definitions about employee experience and experience management? Yeah, absolutely. I think employee experience, we usually define as the collection of interactions and experiences that an employee has with his or her organization. So all of those little discrete experiences, the small and the big, all of that make up what we usually call the employee experience or EX. But one of the things that, you know, having worked with many organizations over the last couple of years is that's a that's a tough definition to to operationalize. You know, that's really broad definition. Um, and so that's where these other definitions come in. You know, you mentioned experience management. This is a, I wouldn't say a new topic, but it's a new name to a discipline that many of us in HR and other fields like customer experience have been doing for quite a while. And we at the XM Institute define experience management or XM as the discipline of using operational data and experiential data to measure and improve the core experiences of a business. And those core experiences include customer experiences, employee experiences, product experiences, and brand experiences. And so what I like to do is, you know, because that definition of EX is so broad and hard to operationalize, I like to merge the two. So I will typically talk about employee experience management. And that really is about using the discipline of experience management to improve and to measure employee experiences. And do you see that as a continuation of the work that people were doing a couple of years ago when we were talking more commonly of employee engagement and people had engagement index and engagement surveys and engagement program? Absolutely. I think, you know, it's kind of what I was alluding to actually, Benoit, was, you know, in HR, I think we've been doing and touching on experience management for a while. Um, now, I will say, and I know you would agree that those those old ways of doing it where we would run you know one survey and that was really the extent of the measurement that we would do about employees experiences that's just not sufficient in today in today's world um, employees expect more and frankly the business needs more but yeah it's absolutely a continuation um, in my in my view because there seemed to be both a 
technology improvement, right? Because I recall, again, 10 years ago, running a survey. I mean, that was a, you know, bring the army. There's a full logistics <laughs> right. amount of work, right? I mean, it's like you're you're invading a country. You have to do so, so much logistics. <laughs> now, it feels more like installing an app, right? So so the technology got a lot slicker, faster, better, you know, all, all that efficiency has been brought. At the same time, it feels like on the what's being measured and optimized, it feels like we, we open up the aperture. Just exploring some concept here with you, but I, mm-hmm. my, my perception of the traditional employee engagement concept is that we talk a lot about how the employee perceives the organization, its future, do I have good communication? And these things mm-hmm. are good, but isn't there a, a broader understanding now of what it's like to be an employee and what's driving an employee to perform that seems to extend what those engagement surveys were measuring? Yeah, I completely agree. I, I love the you know, the kind of visual you painted in my head, opening the aperture. And, you know, like you said, 10 years ago and 20 years ago, when we were running these employee opinion surveys and employee engagement surveys, and that was the only mechanism out of necessity. I think had, um, you know, one fun game I, I'll, I'll play over a beer or a drink with, with, uh, with my peers is, let's imagine, you know, we had just discovered this construct of employee engagement today with all that we have available to us from a technology standpoint, right? How would we do it? How would we measure it? Would we do a once a year survey? I've never heard that answer, right? Playing this game a few times. Nobody's ever said that. I think that's just been, people have done it because that's what they did in the past because they had to do it that way. Um, But like you said, there's so many other uh, micro experiences that are really important from the employee's perspective. And now it's so easy to do. It's so easy to measure. You could do it in such a seamless way. And in one of your article, you talk about the traditional challenges of these older measurement program, right? You talk about ad hoc employee surveying or disjointed employee experience efforts. If you are an HR leader nowadays, how can you avoid these two pitfalls? Yeah, it's it's easier said than done um, because I think in a lot of cases, organizations anchor on what's happened in the past. Um, and I, I like to, the, the quote I use is, from Back to the Future, you know, at the very end of the movie when Doc Brown comes back and he meets Marty and Jennifer and, and he's like, you got to come back with me. He's like, well, you don't have enough road to go where we're going. Where we're going, we don't need roads. You know, so in a way, I think mm-hmm. HR professionals need to block out a little bit about, well, what have we done in the past? Or at least question, why did we do it that way in the past? The other thing I would say is, uh, you know, for me personally, some of the greatest learnings that I've had in the last five years have been from non-HR people looking at what what people are doing on mar- in market research and learning how do they design their measures and how do they go out to potential customers and customer experience side. Like I and and you probably hear this too, Benoit. Like when we talk to customers, there's a des- our, our HR our HR customers they have this desire to create customer-grade experiences for their employees. So why not look at what's going on 
on the customer side, what are the customer experience teams doing? And so that's one of the things I'm really passionate about within the Exum Institute is that we're bringing these people together. We're bringing traditional HR practitioners and CX practitioners to learn from each other. And just a couple of examples, you know, employee journey mapping, people, we may have done it, like if you're a Lean Six Sigma person, you may have done that kind of thing in the past, but that's a practice we borrowed from CX or creating embedded measures that are very conversational, right? Instead of a 50 item Likert scale survey, we, you know, we don't do that on the customer side. Why do we do it on the employee side? So simple things like that, that we can borrow to up our game on the HR side. And in these uh, strange uh, times where most of us are now working from home, at least most of the knowledge worker. And, uh, you know, just like you and I, who are hoping to finish this conversation before our families <laughs> intervene, we'll see how it goes. Obviously, it has changed the game uh, rapidly for a lot of people in an unexpected way. And, and I know you've been giving a lot of thoughts at, at your institute about the, the work from home or the remote and distributed worker. Have you seen anything else instrumental or important to manage this rapid transition? Or have you heard anything from the workforce that uh, leaders, HR or non-HR, should pay attention to? You know, this might not be surprising to some, but it, what was surprising to me is the relative lack of support and enablement for people leaders in this new environment. Mm -hmm. And like when I, you know, when I just look at, you know, LinkedIn newsfeed, or I go out and I read um, HBR, Forbes, there's a lot about how to, how to get work done as an individual contributor. Um, there's relatively less on how do you enable a leader who's used to managing a team in a face-to-face -face environment. And I've, I've worked in the past, in a past life on some transition or, and pilots to moving call center teams to remote work. And one of the things that I was reminded of is we, we would look for slightly different skill sets in, in managers who would manage remote teams. There were some slightly different um, skill sets and backgrounds that we would look for. And so I think that's something that we really need to focus on in HR. And I've, I've, we've had a few customers that I've worked with who have really anchored on the people leader. And some have, you know, in some cases over-indexed. But their thought process is, if we're going to get our front line and our individual contributors successful, we have to work through our people leaders. I, and I think that's a, a good way to think about it. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, there's not, there's only so much we know, and there's only so much we can control in a time of major change and crisis. And this is certainly one of those, right? So when companies move, have to move everybody to remote work very abruptly, that's a huge change in transition. Um, and then we can't really control a lot of that. But what can we control? Well, we can control what we're learning from those employees as they move into those different environments. We can control how we get the insights, those things that we're learning from them into the hands of people who can do something about it. And we can control how we respond to that, right? Do we take action on what we're doing? And so I think you know, this event, as horrible as it's been, really emphasizes the importance of listening to employees and acting on their feedback, among many other things. So those are just two things that were that are top of mind to me. And to continue on the same vein, a lot of organizations, I'm sure, already had some form of employee experience, or at least um, feedback measurement 
program that were in place before the crisis. When something like that hits, how do you adjust such programs? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, honestly, uh, Benoit, that's been probably the most common question that I've gotten as a, as a consultant is, all right, look, we have all these things in place. So how do we adjust? Uh, we anchor on five principles. And, and these principles were somewhat borrowed from the 2008 crisis, but we've adapted them and adjusted them. But it basically, you know, when you have to make decisions about how do we change our surveys? How do we change our our moments that matter? How do we change our the way that we design new experiences for employees? What principles should we keep in mind? The very first one is to show humanity. And that is really about you know, this is not these EX programs and these these uh, surveys are not all about the organization. They're ultimately about the employees. And so let's make sure that we're doubling down on that. That when we ask as a, as a company for feedback, we're recognizing that they have concerns and they have uncertainties. So let's focus on that. Let's adjust our communication strategy. And, and you know this better than anybody, Benoit. Most surveys have a pre and a post communication strategy. Well, during a time of crisis, you need to read, you need to tweak those, right? Make sure you're pre, you you show appreciation for the fact that people are putting themselves putting themselves at risk potentially, especially if they're on site, um, and that we're showing them a real value proposition. The second uh, principle that we rely on is to reduce your focus on long term metrics, and you know what we were talking earlier about the historical engagement survey and many. Many companies still track that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But in a time of crisis like this, new things bubble up. And so I think it's wise for organizations to be flexible and to, you know, engagement is still important right now, but is it as important as physical safety or is it as important as mental well-being? You know, maybe not. So if if mental well-being and physical safety are more important, be flexible, right? Put that engagement metric on hold for a while. Bring it back up later. Focus on what's important now. Another principle that we use is ask less, listen more. And it kind of sounds a little contradictory, but the idea is that in most EX programs, the organization drives the conversation. We design the questions. We send it out to employees. But in, a, in an environment like this, we only know so much, right? There's no playbook. You know, we can only rely on the external research to a certain degree. We have to let the employees drive the conversation. And so this is where we do things like um, take your, if you, you know, if you have a 40 item survey that you usually run in March or April, just put that aside for a second. You know, maybe a few things are relevant, but you don't have to ask that same survey. Use more open-ended questions. Let the employees drive what's on what's top of mind. The other is it really focusing on immediate response. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan. I think the whole purpose of listening to employees is to act on their feedback, but in a time of crisis, that's especially important. So really focusing on let's ask what we can act on incredibly important. And then finally doing that cycle, right? Listening, digesting and acting, doing that faster. And that cycle only happens as fast as you can act. And so what that means is in addition to changing your surveys and maybe using more open-ended, you may actually have to use totally different listening mechanisms. A traditional survey might not make sense. 
Imagine, you know, if, oh, this is an actual example. We have a bank that we work with in, in North America. And one of the, as they're opening up their different branches, one of the things they're really concerned about is our employees uh, who are sick or showing symptoms, do they still show up to work? Are they using their personal protective equipment effectively? And so what they did is they created an always on survey that employees can access at any point on their mobile device or their computer. And they raised the issue. If somebody comes in coughing and they shouldn't be at work, they can go in and anonymously raise that issue. And then on the back end, the facilities team gets that alert immediately, right? That bank can't wait a month for the next pulse survey to know if there's a safety issue. They need to know now. So it's, I think that's one way to think about it. Not just changing your content, what you're asking about, but also you might consider changing your listening mechanisms that you're using. And if I take this logic of asking less but acting more or reacting more and and creating a more dynamic form of listening the the implication here is that you should still be listening maybe not with a 40 items question but to clients who ask you should we survey anyway uh you know if i can Mm -hmm. can translate your thought the answer is of course you have I, i totally agree you know, I, what's interesting is before the pandemic really impacted most companies, we had conducted a large piece of research at the end of 2019, and we were basically doing it. It was a trends report, right? What are some of the, the trends in employee experience, and particularly from the perspective of employees, from frontline employees and, and people managers? And one of the top findings from that was that employees actually want and expect their company to ask them for feedback during times of change. And it was amazing because that happened right before this really impacted anybody. What we also found is that many employees didn't perceive that their company asked for feedback during a time of change, like an acquisition or a merger or a major reorganization. But it's the time where they want it to be asked for their feedback the most. Um, the other thing I would say is, you know, as you alluded to, time of crisis is precisely the time you want to ask for feedback. But there's also this opposite logic. And, and, and I've had a couple of conversations over the ca- past couple of months where business leaders have some legitimate concerns, right? If, well, we can't devote resources to running a brand new survey, um, we, we got other things to worry about. We got business continuity to worry about, or we got employee safety to worry about. But I, and I agree with that, right? You don't want to redirect resources to something that's superfluous, but asking employees for feedback in the moment in a time of crisis is not superfluous. It does not mean though, that you ask your normal barrage of questions, just like you said, right? That's, this is not the time for that, but letting them lead the conversation. Absolutely. That is, this is precisely the time where you should be asking for feedback. And you could almost say that, you know, if business continuity and safety is your concern, well, serving is a is one way to accomplish that, right? It's a tool to to get input from your employees on those two critical topics. Exactly. Exactly. Right. It doesn't always have to be about engagement or the, you know, the traditional things we sur- we survey about. It can be very agile. And again, I, you know, this is a good time to think about different listening mechanisms. So to the to the leaders that say, well, we don't have the time to roll out a big census survey, then don't, <laughs> right? Embed yeah. embed a um, 
always on survey process to give employees a voice if and when they need to give it or scrape. You know, if you're doing online town halls, which many companies have done over the last couple of months and people can chat, you know, and tell them you're going to use that, but scrape those and do some natural language process processing on it. Those are different ways of listening that are not nearly as onerous as running a big survey. But just as we talked about, you know, you can easily roll out a very quick, short, relevant survey and it really not be very taxing. Even before the crisis, there were still a lot of companies who were um, establishing remote working practice, moving toward distributed virtual work environment. Did you have already completed any research on, on those remote or virtual workers? And is there something different in their experience that is important for HR leaders? When we look mm. at the employee experience from that perspective, what else is important? Because I'm sure on the one hand, right, I mean, they're all employees, we're all humans, we need hope and caring, and a couple of fundamentals. But is there something specific to that type of workers that you found? Well, you know what, I I'll take it in a little bit different direction. Um, what we have seen is that employees' expectations are measurably changing about things like working from home and what type of support they expect from their, their company and the type of flexible work arrangements that the company offers. And, you know, we use, we, in the Exum Institute, we use a model, we call it the human experience cycle. And it's a very simple idea. It's that, you know, an experience that we have as a human, you know, we have, we perceive it, we have a perception about it, it could be good, it could be bad, it could be neutral. Over time, as we have experiences, those that those turn into attitudes, and those attitudes last for a while. So like employee engagement is a is an attitude. And you form that after multiple experiences. And, the, and of course, those attitudes, as we know, drive our behavior. But one part that often gets missed is that how we perceive an experience is greatly dependent on how what our expectation going into that experience was. So when I go to the DMV or I call, you know, my, my cable provider, I'm not expecting a whole lot. You know, I, I know it's going to be a pretty cruddy experience or You know, if I, if I go into, um, a, I'm, I'm missing sports, uh, Benoit, I don't know about you, but I really miss sports right now. And I'm just thinking about like, you know, when I, when my baseball team, when I'm expecting a good year and they go 500, I'm not super happy about that. But if I'm expecting a rebuilding year and they go 500, I might be pretty pleased at the end of the season. So a simple idea there is that expectations that we have and expectations that employees may have had this time around 2019, those are very likely going to change. And those workplace policies like work from home, uh, like flexible work arrangements, you, you better be ready for people's expectations to be very different in the future. And I think things like, you know, we, you know, we were talking earlier about our kids in the background. What I'm seeing and what I'm finding is that it's okay. Like in the background, and, and, you know, let's say five months ago, if I would have kids yelling in the background, that would have been unprofessional. Today, it's just, it is what it is. It's, we're all dealing with this together as a human race, which is kind of amazing in a way. So bringing your whole self to work, I think is an expectation that people are going to bring to the workplace. 
in the future, that that should be okay. I think people are going to expect more workplace flexibility. That's not to say everybody's going to want to work from home. I think some people may be scarred for life after this and may never want to work from home again. But that's not the point. The point is, they're going to expect more flexibility because they saw that they were they were able to be productive. And I think people are going to expect more in connectivity, right? These town halls that have popped up in some companies where they get to hear directly from the CEO. What if, the, what if we pull those back? I think people's expectations are going to warrant that we continue some of those practices. And what do you think organizations should be doing differently to deliver, at least in part, on those new expectations? Well, I, I think it starts with understanding those expectations. And, and so, so some of the conversations I've had recently, we've it's really been a brainstorm. You know, I don't have the answers for sure, but it's been a brainstorm of how do we anticipate what those expectations are going to be based on the experiences that different populations of employees are going through now. And that's, I think, is a very useful exercise to understand what those are. And like you said earlier, I think people or organizations are going to have to make very meaningful changes uh, to their policies. They're going to, if they want to be competitive in the talent space, they're going to have to be more flexible in their workplace policies. I think that will ultimately benefit many companies in terms of their reach for talent and their ability to retain talent. So, I mean, there's a few, but I think it begins with understanding and measuring what those ex expectations are. And my last question for you today, Ben, as we keep looking at the future, but from the point of view of the experience management, uh, experience measurement, feedback measurement, where do you see the technology, the practices evolving? Well, I, you know, I have some hopes. Um, you know, I hope, I mentioned this earlier, but I, I hope that being okay with bringing your, yourself to work, your whole self to work, I hope that that sticks around, right? And I, we're, we're seeing it. Those of us working remotely and on Zoom calls every day, we see it and it's refreshing, to be honest. And so I hope that sticks around. I, and I, and I think in many companies that will. I also hope that companies, continue to emphasize employee well-being and, and health. And a lot of companies have, but even before this, I want to make sure that I acknowledge that. Now we're seeing companies that haven't traditionally done that. They haven't traditionally focused on that as a critical outcome that they track for their employees or that they drive. I think that's that's going to benefit everyone. It's going to benefit employees. It's going to benefit customers. It's going to benefit the company in the long run. So I think it behooves organizations to continue to focus on those things. And in general, I, I think that There's a lot we can learn from changes that we've had to make over the last couple of months. And I, I've been hearing this from a bunch of clients all the way from, you know, there was this, this company in Poland, uh, IT company in Poland. And one of the things they shared with us was that when they had to move from on-site work to remote work, it was the first time they had ever surveyed their workforce. And their leaders were wow. just so happy with the results, the participation rate, the, the, the value, the feedback they got. They said, why don't we do this all the time? Same thing I mentioned that bank who introduced that always on listening mechanism for to track safety issues. Well, a funny story about that, when, when they rolled it out, the, the business leader said, this is extremely valuable. Why haven't we been doing this all along? And the HR team start kicking themselves on the table. We've been telling you to do this. <laughs> We've been trying to do this for forever. But that's the point. Like 
they had to make that adjustment and are now realizing like, oh, this is just a much better way to do it. And and now you're seeing some tech companies who are already saying, hey, we're going to formally adjust our workplace policies because we can get done, we can get work done remotely, we can be effective. So I think there's going to be a time and a place, maybe a few months down the road, hopefully soon, where we can really reflect on what changes did we have to make to our programs, to our employee experiences that should stick. And I think a lot of those are going to be for the better for everyone. Well, on those uh, hopeful and positive thoughts, I'm going to uh, thank you for your time, uh, for your ideas, for accepting to be on the show. Greatly appreciate it. Where can we learn more about uh, your work? Well, you can certainly follow me on, on LinkedIn. You can also follow the XM Institute. We We have a formal website coming, a refreshed website, I should say, that's going to allow free access to our research reports, our blog. Um, also, I think worth noting that we have created a global community for XM professionals. And this is a place where EX professionals and CX professionals and product designers and market researchers can come together to learn from each other and, and just freely kind of share ideas and topics. So we call that the the XMPN online. So it's a great, great free resource for, for anybody out there who's passionate about experience management. Fantastic. Well, thanks again for the time today. Thanks, Benoit. I really appreciate it. This was Abrupt Future. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardy Valley, and I thank you for your time.